topic today is on conscience and how to disagree with the church. So the thing that intrigued me about that when you brought that up is that there's three components to that that I'm looking forward to kind of picking apart because so often when when we use words, we read into them, you know, and then somebody else uses words and they're reading into them, you know, their interpretation or how, the, how things have been explained to them. So I want to pick apart today, what is conscience? What does it mean to disagree? And what is the church? And then kind of now that we've taken those apart again, see how they fit back together and maybe end up somewhere different to, well, kind of how I grew up and maybe how you did. So, hey friends, welcome to the Pope Francis Generation. It's the show for Catholics struggling with the church's teaching who feel like they might not belong in the church anymore, but who still hunger for a God of love and goodness. Your hosts are me, Paul Fahey, a professional catechist. And I'm Dominic, someone who needs catechesis. Together we're taking our own look at the Catholic Church, their teachings and practices from three views that changed our world. And those are the Kerygma, the Doctrine of Theosis, and the teaching of Pope Francis. So together with you, we're the Pope Francis generation. Let's dive in, Paul. I'm curious, um, why did you pick this topic? Like, it's been on your mind. I think we've kind of been actively chipping away at it in the last couple of episodes, so it's time to just focus on it as, it's a big issue, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so... I think I mentioned a couple of months ago on the last ep on the last episode, I said a couple of months ago, we put together a list of topics we wanted to talk about this season. And uh, that's that list has become more of a suggestion. Uh, <laughs> but right. this topic was on that list. And after our last couple of discussions, conscience has come up. So mm -hmm. I'm like, let's just address that head on. Um, yeah. And this is something that I have had a uh, pretty tremendous shift in how I view conscience and what I understand about it over the course of uh, my adult life and understanding of the faith. So I wanted to start, Dominic, uh, what mm. were you taught about conscience or what was your understanding of conscience? Um, yeah, it's a great adult? question. You asked me before and I've uh, been thinking about it for a little bit and then realizing I don't know actually how to articulate that. It's, it's quite a nebulous sort of thing. Uh, growing up, it was you were told to follow your conscience, some sort of Jiminy Cricket thing, but there was always a caveat. There was always a catch. Like people would always say, follow your conscience, but it has, you know, it has to be a formed conscience and you need me to help you form it. Um, and basically then I, so I never followed my conscience because I was not as smart as this other person or as this guide or as this priest or whatever. Um, and if I was not as smart as they would, my conscience is not as well formed. I therefore can't trust any of my decisions. And so I'm back to not trusting my conscience and, uh, whatever they say has to go because I trust their conscience. So I'm basically, uh, outsourcing that and waking up one day and realizing I have a terrible habit of gaslighting myself constantly. Now it sounds like we've got some sirens in the background. We'll see how that. Uh, if that causes any issues, might have to trim it later. But yeah, let's yeah, my going. town apparently is doing their their tornado siren drill right at this moment. There you go. So I think that would be that's my response. I don't I don't know if that gives you what you're looking for. I think the core sort of thought is I don't know how to trust it, or at least I am now learning how to trust my intuition, my conscience, um, and realize I do my I have to I'm in charge of my own forming. I can't outsource that to somebody else in case they haven't formed theirs and yeah. they've just got a big ego about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
your experience is is very similar to mine. Um, on one hand, we, uh, you know, I would hear people speak positively about conscience. But on the other hand, there was definitely the sense of suspicion that came with it. Like you can't really trust your conscience because your own passions and your own desires and your own fallenness is, you know, keeps you from having a clear understanding of what to do. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, you have to outsource it, and you have to outsource it to other people or outsource it to the magisterium. And there was definitely a sense of your conscience must line up with church teaching. Right. Mm-hmm. But this idea of like outsourcing um, either to the church or to others is really a um, intentionally or not, it's an exercise in a manipulation. It's an mm-hmm. exercise in coercion. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see that as we talk more about conscience. Um, but mm-hmm. I also have realized that there is a lot that's attractive about outsourcing your conscience because then you don't have the responsibility. You've outsourced the responsibility that comes with it. Right. And there can be a lot of security or feelings of security in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the church is calling us to have, and Christ is calling us to have an adult faith and not an adolescent faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and adults have responsibility. They have freedom, but they have responsibility. Right, right. When it comes down to it, uh, we are uh, assessed or or judged or evaluated um, by by the choices that we made, and we can't blame, you know, uh, or we can't always we can't blame anything else. It comes squarely down to. Why did you choose that choice? And oh, I thought I, I you know, it makes me feel safe to not have to think about it or just to uh, it sort of default, you know, yep. I think. Yep. So yeah, it's a, it's an abdication of our own responsibility because it, it can be terrifying and exhausting to have to sit and wrestle with and think through. And, uh, and there's a reason why, I mean, it's, it's complete human nature to rely on others, rely on the influence of others, be inspired you know, be ruled by or guided by others. But there do, there do come certain moments, I think, where it becomes extremely clear, serious decisions are made, or a decision that you feel is very important. Um, and you, maybe if you sat with it, or if you researched it, or if you entered into prayer with it, you might make a decision. Uh, but then I think what, what terrifies some of us is realizing deep down we might actually believe in that choice that decision might feel called to it but then have to weigh that against the impact it's going to have on friends family um, job institution or whatever everything that's you know normal or we yep. see as normal all around us that choice could challenge all of that and uh to default or, or to to run away from what feels like a good thing as terrifying as it is well, it can muddy things. Yep. Make it so. Anyhow, where would you go with that? Like you've got the the catechism. It says it's the conscience is man's most secret core and his sanctuary. So, if that's the case, and every single human has this, um, how do we stop being that you know manipulated or allowing others to manipulate that? Yeah. Um. But the rest of that quote. Um. Mm-hmm. Conscience is man's most secret core in his sanctuary. This comes from uh, the section of the Catechism 1776. Then goes on and say, There man is alone with God, 
whose voice echoes in his depths. So there, it's just that's hilarious. Seventeen seventy six. That's like perfect for Americans. <laughs> <laughs> so so there's this sense that our conscience is our mm-hmm. organ, our spiritual organ, where we hear God's voice, and He directs our life. Um, so the next section of the catechism says, and there's going to be a lot of catechism and I'm doing that intentionally because there's a, there is a lot of mistrust, at least that I've seen within Catholic circles about conscience and a lot of misunderstanding about what it means. So mm-hmm. I'm going to try and ground what I say, uh, in the words of the church as much as I can. So this is from the catechism, uh, paragraph 1777, moral conscience present at the heart of the person enjoins him at the appropriate moment to do good and to avoid evil. It also judges particular choices, approving those that are good and denouncing those that are evil. It bears witness to the authority of truth in reference um, to the supreme good, who is God, to which the human person is drawn, and it welcomes the commandments. When man listens to his conscience, the prudent man can hear God speaking. So this is, even, so even before we can talk about forming um, the conscience, there's that big question of what is it? And um, I think a lot of us have a lot of distrust about conscience because we look at people at the parish, people in the media, family, you know, whatever, and look at the choices that they make. And they're like, there's no way a person in good conscience could make a decision like that. You obviously don't have a good conscience or you don't know how to follow it or something. Yeah. And it seems so obvious um, <laughs> to, to some of us. And and you know, people say things like, "Well, in good conscience, I couldn't do X, uh, or, or whatever, uh, or in good conscience, I can't let you, or I can't let it slide." Something. Um, I think we off we conflate a lot um, what we see as normal w- with our conscience, what we have been told is normal, whether it's actually true or not. What we've been told it's good, um, or, or stuff that's uh, our own ego. You know, it's like this this lattice of preconceptions, habitual thinking. And we think all of that is, well, all of that feels good and normal to me. Yep. Uh, therefore, that's got to be my conscience. Yeah. I think there's two extremes, uh, two misunderstandings with conscience. On one hand, we have kind of what we talked about earlier, this suspicion of conscience. So suspicion of my own conscience. So I'm going to abdicate that responsibility and just let someone else make all my decisions for me, essentially. On the other end, though, is a is an understanding of conscience that justifies all of my decisions and everything I wanted to do already anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it justifies my own desires, um, whether those desires are good or not. It justifies my own political ideologies, right? It justifies me. Um, those are two bad mm-hmm. <laughs> understandings of conscience. Uh, and the church really presents something much more dynamic um, that avoids either of those extremes entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you talked about the formation of conscience, and I think this is important. So if if conscience isn't a thing, but rather hearing God, right? It's the voice of God speaking within us, recognizing that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, then I think it's appropriate to think of formation of conscience as discernment. You can think of even um, uh, uh, St. Ignatius's spiritual exercises, which is all about how do you hear the voice of the good spirit versus the voice of the flesh and the world, the voice of the bad spirit. How do you discern those things? Mm-hmm. So I think it's um, 
it's a it could be helpful to view the formation of conscience in a similar way, right? Yeah, I um, think uh, just as a, a thought, as you're you're speaking, I think a lot of us flatten the idea of formation of conscience. To I read a Wikipedia article. I'm informed. That's not formation. Yeah. Um, and I think we get people who who you know rabidly vote. That's not a fair word. Passionately vote for distinct, you know, political parties and believe my conscience is pulling me to go this way. I could never make a different choice, and everybody else is so terribly wrong, and so on. But again, that's we're not. That's how you can have conscience weaponized uh, against others and in favor of something that you know that we think, um, and then have all of the fraction. You know, yep. the breaking down, division among all kinds of different people. And you just got to then ask the question, well, either it is not what people say it is, or we're using it wrong, or we're in interacting with it wrong, or, you know. So I think just making that point, information is not the same as formation. Correct. And so another maybe helpful way to conceptualize this is we, we've talked about theosis. We've talked about how grace makes us into another Christ. So, Jesus could always hear and recognize the voice of his father. Even when his father was asking him to do something uh, that was difficult, right? Think of the agony in the garden. He knew his father's voice and he chose to obey it, right? Mm -hmm. So, if grace, if the Holy Spirit is making my heart like Jesus's heart and my mind like Jesus's mind, and he's inviting me into and allowing me to participate and have the same relationship with the Father that Jesus had, where I know his voice, right? Mm -hmm. And can hear his voice. So, so we can think of what the church lays out as how we form our conscience. We could think of it as ways that we participate with the Holy Spirit in him allowing us to hear the Father's voice with clarity. Mm -hmm. Um so, so this is what the church says. Uh, so this comes uh, from the catechism. We need to have regular interior, so quiet, and vulnerable prayer. And the vulnerable part is key. We have to not have duplicity within us. We have to recognize that we have our own desires. We have our own fears. We have our own agendas when it comes to decision-making. And we can bring those fears and agendas and desires to the Lord. And he's not going to judge us for them. He's going to meet us right where we're at. But we have to have a level of sincerity and honesty with ourselves and with the Lord about that, right? Mm -hmm. um, we have to have pay attention to scripture and what the church teaches. Uh, we have to uh, examine our conscience. Again, this is a level of vulnerability and self-reflection. And, and the church asks us to seek the advice of others. Um, you know, we should have some prudence and discernment about who we're seeking advice from. Mm -hmm. um, but this formation, this cooperation with the Holy Spirit, allowing us to hear God's voice more clearly, the, the Catechism says that the education of conscience guarantees freedom and engenders peace of heart. Because if we can hear the Lord's voice, then we know what choices are, not mm -hmm. just the right choices to make, but the choices that... God wants us to make and that are therefore best for us and will truly fulfill us and truly change the world. Right. There's yep. a profound sense of peace and security that come with that. I think um sort of pursuant to that is the challenge of 
Uh, you could call it the modern mind. I think very few of us are immune to it. Um, and it's been my constant sort of trying to get around behind my own, like the back of my own head to look at how I think about things. And it's like the hardest thing ever sort of catch yourself out of the corner of your eye. Cause, um, like we talk, like the catechism says this beautiful thing. It's this deep inner interior space where God actively, uh, interacts with you, communicates with you, you know? So if, if on the one hand we're gaslighting, and for those who don't know what gaslighting means, it's a term that is often used when it comes to things like, um, well, I mean, how would you define gaslighting? I know how I define it. Yeah. So it's where, um, it's where someone denies your perception of reality. So it comes from an old movie where you have, uh, um, you know, some couple and the husband's trying to make the wife go crazy. Mm -hmm. So he'll turn off the lamps in the house, the gas, the gas lights, right? The lamps mm -hmm. in the house. And, um, she'll be like, the lights are off. And he'll be like, no, they're not. You're going crazy. So mm -hmm. it's this idea of like denying our own, uh, experience right. or understanding of something. Yeah. And it's not even a matter if it's, if it's true or not. The thing is we perceive it to be true. And then somebody is actively trying to deny, uh, what we, what, you know, you, you know, um, you did this thing to me a couple of days back, or you said this, no, I didn't. And then you start doubting your own sanity. So that's basically, it's, it's a funny word. It means doubting your own sanity. So anyhow, we, we doubt our own sanity. We doubt our own conscience. We gaslight ourselves on top of other people doing it. But then we also don't take seriously this idea or this, not idea, this reality that God is present within, uh, how do I, how do you articulate this within every individual within this, like you said, the catechism says this deep space, we don't actually believe that he speaks back to us. Yeah. Um, often when I go try to go to prayer, I remember this little skit. It was, uh, I think it was going around like, I don't know, 10 years ago on the internet. And it had this one guy who met Jesus at a cafe and it was supposed to be a prayer session. And, um, he's just sort of, throws himself in the seat and Jesus has been sitting there for a while waiting, sort of looking at his coffee and the guy comes in, he throws himself in the chair and he's just starts this litany of stuff, you know, please take care of this. And I need this to happen. There's all this problem. And my boss at work and blah, blah, blah. And then it cuts back to Jesus and he's just patiently just sort of, okay, I'm listening. All right. And then the camera's like cutting as though it's taking like a full hour. Um, the camera cuts and he's lying on the ground, his feet up in the air. Uh, he's sprawled over the chair. He's sprawled a different way. He's got three coffees now, just talking, 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 and then like just rambling and just thinking. And so on. Jesus sitting there. And then finally gets to the end and he's like, Phew, I'm done. Okay. And then Jesus goes to open his mouth and say one thing. The guy, Oop, look at the time. I got to go. And then he runs. Every time I go to pray, I think about that. And I'm like, Ooh, I, I can't do that. That's so sitting in that space of silence where our minds are busy, busy, busy constantly. And if anybody's, you know, kind of into mental health, you know, that our brains have been habituated and you know, wired to be manic and attentive and busy. And just biologically speaking, that creates a space of fear and stress and so on. To, to cultivate that space of silence where God can actually be heard or intuited. I mean, it's what it is. It's intuition. It's never words in the sky. It's always, oh, as point of clarity, but it never comes out of, you know, panic and fear it comes out of that cultivation of, of silence and not yeah. even always learning. 
you know, reading books and books and talking to people. It's, it doesn't come from there. And it, and it comes from within us because it's the Holy Spirit who's within us, right? So, I mean, uh, when when people have taught me, you know, how do you hear the Lord's voice? Um, the <laughs> uh, I for, And I forget who told me this, but, but he was like, um, so uh, say your own name in your head. Okay, that mind voice. Okay, that's God's voice. And I'm like, well, that doesn't help me at all. Because then it's like, how do I know what's the Lord and what's not? And that's, um, I mean, that's, you know, that's Ignatius's discernment of spirits. That's um, part of the dialogue of prayer. But even with our busyness and our distractions and, you know, the monkeys we have running on in our head, the Lord's okay with that too. He just wants us to show up. And if we're distracted and rambling and, and our minds racing the whole time, mm-hmm. he can still work with that. I mean, that doesn't mean that we stay there, but we can't let that uh, keep us from entering into prayer in the first place. From part. actually believing that. And that's the thing is we, I think a lot of us are afraid to actually believe that he actually will talk. And I've got like one little story a couple of years back, I'll keep coming back to where um, I was, I was going through a rough time financially. And I remember walking down the stairs and I'd been in the sort of an internal screaming panic all day long, just afraid. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills and whatever. I was walking down the stairs and I'm panicking again. It's it's not, it's panic praying. It's just like, oh God, oh please, oh please, oh please, oh God, oh God, save me, save me. Okay, maybe it's a form of prayer. Um, is it a good one? I don't know. In that case, he worked with that. And as I reached the last step, I thought, I don't know how I'm going to get around this. I don't know how, you know, what's the future like? This thought just came just out of nowhere. And it was, don't you think I'm greater than your stupidity? And it was so clear and instant. I had to like take three seconds to like unpack it and read it back to myself. Cause that's how ideas usually arrive. It's like, it's a instant sort of, oh, and then I completely relaxed after that and allowed, you know, bought into the idea, allowed it to be true, to be real. Yeah. And it is true. I go to mass every, you know, every time and and we pray this these are the things that we say we we read the beatitudes we you know we say the rosary and it's when things get really hard is when we actually have to remember do i take this stuff seriously or not because that's what the word belief you know actually means so, so much of my prayer especially since the pandemic is like sitting down with the lord in the morning and being like lord this is what's wrong with the church this is what's wrong with all these people and just like out of hurt and frustration, just ranting. And then the Lord gently reminding me, am I as good and as powerful as you believe that I am? As I say that I am. And then, then I'm like, oh yes. Because then in like, because then I have nothing to worry about, right? The Lord is who he says he yeah. is. And, Every time the, I get off center, it's for the same reason. And usually if I just sit for a second, I realize, oh, this is terrifying, but I do trust him. I've got this silly picture in my mind of, you know, they say sitting in the hands of Christ, but they're pierced hands. These, they're pierced palms. So your feet are like dangling over the abyss, but he's still got, you know, but there's that awareness that you can't, you know, do it on your, I want to move into the next part where we're talking about how conscience can err, but I want to take just a quick second to thank a sponsor that's helping us to, to bring this show to you. Uh, it is called Select to Give. More Catholic leaders choose select international tours than any other pilgrimage company. With 35 years of award-winning travel planning, they have a track record of excellence and faithfulness, and they're a small company 
with a big heart because every one of their pilgrimage trips helps to support and fund their 501c3 charity work, which is helping Christian families thrive in the Holy Land. So if you're ready to travel or you're looking to lead a group of your own, take the next step on your pilgrimage by visiting selectinternationaltours.com. Okay, so how can conscience err? If it's something we take seriously and we believe God can actually communicate to us, and uh, then how do we get it wrong? Yeah, so you could think of it again to, to keep up with the, this framework that we're using. Um, we can't hear the, the the voice of the Lord with clarity, right? This is a process that we learn. We do not um, like we are still wounded and broken by sin, by our own sin and the sins of others. The Lord still is healing and transforming to do. So, like, what are the things that impede us from hearing the Lord's voice with clarity? Um, so, so the catechism says that the things that can, um, you know, cause our conscience to error is first of all, a lack of caring from us to know what's good and true in the first place, like a, a deep apathy. Um, it can, we can also be our, our mind can be, um, blinded or obscured by our own habitual sin or, uh, our own like vices, our own passions. Um, we can have an ignorance of Christ and his identity. You know, that reminder of, is God who he says he is, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we can have an ignorance of church teaching and we could be having bad advice from others, right? The kind of the, uh, uh, I'm gonna shop around uh, the priest in my area until I find the one that gives me the answer that I want type of thing, yeah. right? Um, or you can shop around and you have no way of telling that you've been told terrible stuff. Yep. You know, with these points that you've just raised, it reminds me of our, our chat on the Eucharist episode two, is it talking about mortal sin and each one of these pieces can not nullify. What's the word? Um, it takes away any uh, mitigate mitigate, right? Yeah. It takes away the seriousness of, 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 of a choice. Cause yeah, you couldn't, you can't be fully faulted. Yeah. It can mitigate our responsibility, like our, our culpability. But the catechism is also clear here mm -hmm. that um, because of our obligation to form our conscience, because, mm -hmm. you know, we are made to hear the Lord's voice, that um, we can be genuinely ignorant, but we can also choose to be ignorant, mm -hmm. right? Um, that there are dynamics at play within these things where if we really sat down and we're honest with ourselves, we were choosing to priest top. We were choosing to avoid that particular teaching because we didn't want to know what it said. Mm -hmm. We were, we were choosing to be blinded in some way. Now, so we are culpable for that choice, right? Um, and that's where, and I'll, and I'll keep going back to this, the vulnerability with ourselves and the vulnerability with the Lord is absolutely essential. We have to have that transparency and that honesty. Um, in order to have clarity past our own agendas. Right, right. Now, the amazing thing is, is the church says, if you're forming your conscience, which is a dynamic process, right? You bring a decision to the Lord, you do these things, like you're in dialogue with him, you feel like he gives you a direction, you act on it, and then you find out, maybe that wasn't the right choice. Con like, Formation of conscience is always a dynamic thing. You go back and you reassess, right? And that is, a, the catechism says it's a lifelong process. You never stop trying to hear the Lord's voice. You never stop 
trying, uh, you know, allowing the Lord to remove these obstacles that prevent you from hearing the Lord's voice more clearly. It's a lifelong thing. It's a dynamic thing. Mm -hmm. But if we're forming our conscience, we can trust that it won't condemn us. And, and actually, the Catechism says, if we choose not to follow our conscience, we condemn ourselves. We are obligated to follow our own conscience. I don't know if um, our listeners have seen the show, uh, The Good Place, but there's these, it's usually this sort of hilarious trope that when people get to the other side, there's this cosmic filing system and there's just armies and millions of scribes just recording everything, or maybe like the Loki show, you know, there's, um, I forget the name of that bureau anyhow, but I think it's, uh, it's more accurate and important to realize we are that filing system. If that makes any sense, every decision, it's all, you know, every choice, it's all within us. We carry our own, um, like the ancient Egyptians would have the sort of the feather of truth and the list of the things and how we lived. And then that, that gets weighed and um, people speak to, you know, the moment of, uh, of death, having that uh, awareness of the completeness of their life. Because in that moment, you're like, you're no longer inside time and all of your whole life is now present to you as a single thing. And you can understand the impact, you know, of all of these things for good or for ill but then you can also understand how they fit into the larger flow of things and why we should be more patient with ourselves because so much of us are just like children uh trying to navigate and make these decisions with incredible pressure from others culture the world and, and so on um so it's not something that you know with this whole discussion it's not ever something to to shame people but always like hooray you made it this far Maybe you missed a piece. Let's keep going. Like yeah. you say, it's dynamic. And you're always moving towards something. And what you're moving towards is this full healing and full trans transformation mm -hmm. into Christ. So this is where, when we talk about, and this is something that Pope Francis then, in a really explicit way, brings to the discussion uh, in his document, Amoris Laetitia. So if we think of like growing in holiness or following the moral law or growing in virtue, what we're talking about is the Holy Spirit making us into Christ. It's a process that happens within time. And Pope Francis goes on to say that um, our conscience can not only help us judge actions, future actions and past actions, but that our conscience can actually show us our own weaknesses in the face of a situation, our own uh, lack of freedom. In, in specific circumstances. And in light of that truth of our lack of freedom, show us the next step that God wants us to take, even if that step doesn't, uh, isn't fully the gospel ideal, right? There's this idea within Catholicism that just because you're baptized, you're able to follow all of the commandments fully. Um, and it comes from a misunderstanding from uh, the teaching of, uh, uh, of St. Paul, um, you know, where God's grace is sufficient. We take that and we twist that into like, okay, so someone can always follow the moral law at all times. And the church has, has never understood that passage that way because we've always had an understanding of culpability, right? Mm -hmm. um, someone who has, has a mental illness isn't culpable for their outbursts of anger 
and aggression towards other people the way that someone else would be. And we wouldn't say to that person with mental illness and say, um, you know, that they're committing a mortal sin whenever they do that. We recognize that in this life, healing and transformation is a process that happens within time. And sometimes the Lord intervenes in a miraculous way and cures people, but also sometimes he doesn't. And sometimes like someone with, with mental illness or any type of illness or addiction or things like this, or like St. Mark, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the, the Chinese martyr, the Lord never healed him of his addiction. Okay. So we have to, to recognize that obedience to the Lord in, in our particular choices doesn't mean that we will always be meeting the full ideal. However, it doesn't mean that the ideal is not achievable. Exist, right? Exactly. Because this discernment, this process is always dynamic. We must always be moving towards the ideal. We must never grow stagnant and we must never grow complacent or okay with our situation. Like St. Mark, he kept going to confession, even though he couldn't receive absolution. And he kept attending mass, even though he couldn't receive communion. He kept living a Christian life instead of growing complacent with whatever you know, he was dealing with. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so and for those who hadn't, who didn't catch that episode, he was, um, what was it? He became addicted to, was it an opiate because of some wound or some sickness and yep. he couldn't get off it. And it was what, 1700s or 1800s or something. It was the 1800s. And he, yeah. he was addicted to opium for, I believe decades before he died. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, right, so you've got a couple of, of quotes here, I think from the catechism on the obligation uh, to follow conscience. Yes. So this is where, if we're in the mix of a mist, bleh, in the midst of a complex situation, mm-hmm. where maybe we do not have the freedom, the capability, of of uh, living out the gospel ideal in that moment, we can still hear the voice of the Lord calling us to the next specific thing we must do, and we're obligated to follow it. Like the Catechism says, a human being must always obey the certain judgment of his conscience. If he were to, de- to deliberately act against it, he would condemn himself. Mm-hmm. But with that then comes this profound sense of trust. If we are following our conscience, if we're doing those, you know, the things the church tells us to do, to hear God's voice, to form our conscience, and we're doing it with sincerity, mm-hmm. we're not going to stumble into mortal sin. We're not going to trip into hell mm-hmm. if we're following our conscience. There's a real sense of security in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I mean, you mentioned um, we condemn ourselves, but like a moment later, uh, we can also express remorse or regret and uh, make a good effort to try to make a better choice next time. You know, uh, it, it's it's when we, we stay hard-headed and... and uh, well, those are the conditions then for actual, so you know, condemnation is grave matter, fully knowing it, and uh, fully willing. All those conditions, fully willing to act. And if any one of those aren't there, then it could be like a serious issue, you know. And it could be, it could be quite, it could be a significant problem in your life and other people's lives, but not necessarily an actual uh, mortal sin. Yeah. yeah. Um. Before we wrap up, I, I want to get to this idea of 
what does it mean to disagree with the church? What do you do when your conscience yeah. and a ruling or a teaching of the church come into conflict? Um, and so, go ahead. Yeah. And what, I, what I'm curious to kind of uh, bracket in this conversation, because this is a big reason why people have a hard time with the Holy Father. Uh, they feel like in good conscience, they cannot align or agree with or accept. So when we use this word church, how should we understand it? Like, what are we disagreeing with? Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> ultimately, the definition of church is is the the people of God, of the baptized. In, in this conversation, I would hone that a little bit to mean um, authority. So that's either um, the teaching authority of the church, the magisterium, or the ecclesial, the church authority, uh, the governing authority within the church. So uh, our, our bishop or the pope. So in either one of those, with the teaching or with the governance, we can have disagreements. And we see this in... Um, I mean, maybe I could go so far as to say is that every Catholic has disagreements with the church. Maybe that's too bold of a statement, but I think it is, a, it is an incredibly common thing um, to either disagree with a governing decision or a teaching of the church. And we see this playing out, you know, just in the past year or two with um, the church's teaching on vaccines. Um where, especially the COVID vaccine, where there was um, not quite an obligation, but a very serious exhortation to get the vaccine. Or we see this playing out. Last summer, Pope Francis issued Traditionis Custodis, which put um, uh, limitations on um, the the old mass, the mm -hmm. a traditional Latin mass. Okay. And there was a lot of outcry against that. Um, we saw this playing out during the pandemic, where where bishops would, you know, shut down public masses during the, you know, especially the first few months of the pandemic. And um, some people acted in obedience and some people acted in disobedience. But we see this playing out all over the time. You look at the dissent from Humanae Vitae on the church's teaching on contraception. Um, you see it playing out in Pope Francis's teaching on capital punishment. And there's a lot of dissent from, it's all over the place, right? Um, but the church doesn't, the church isn't coercing us. It's not like the, the church says jump and we're supposed to say how I. We're adults. The church doesn't coerce us. It invites us. It exhorts us. It teaches us. Um, so how do we disagree with the church? And I came up with 10 steps because lists are always great, right? Awesome. Any questions before I jump in? No, far away. Um, uh, so this list was inspired by a list of eight steps that I made. I wrote last summer uh, for where Peter is after uh, the Pope's um, the Pope's document on the Latin Mass came out. Uh, so, the, so step one, I believe, is pray for the grace to believe more deeply in the most important truth about God, which is the charisma, which is that He relentlessly is loving and pursuing you. That's first. If conscience is Hearing the voice of God, you have to trust and believe who God is. Second, uh, is pray for the grace to be okay with feeling this way, with having those mm -hmm. doubts, with having those conflicts, knowing that uh, you're not alone in that. There's a lot of other people in that. And the Lord doesn't expect you, again, he doesn't, he doesn't expect you to be okay with it. He's okay with your doubts and your fears. 
Um, and then step three, pray for the grace to be able to be vulnerable with the Lord, to bring those fears and those doubts and those agendas and those desires to him so he can give you direction from them. Number four is pray for the grace to trust Christ and to trust Christ's church. Um, part of this, I think, is reflecting on times like in the Old Testament, God was always inviting the people in the desert uh, and in the Holy Land to reflect on, remember how I saved you from Egypt? Remember how I brought you manna in the desert? Remember how I've taken care of you? So I think part of this trusting in God and trusting in the church is to reflect on times where God has proven himself to you, where the church's teaching has borne out to be true and right. Um, and to really like sit with that in prayer. I think also to pray for greater trust in the Holy Spirit, um, to believe that the Holy Spirit does protect and guide the church, that the gates of hell won't prevail against the, against the church, and that Jesus did give the Holy Spirit to his apostles and their successors to interpret scripture and God's revelation for us. Pray for more trust in that. Number five, and interrupt me at any time. That's uh, no, fine. I'm actually trying to bite my tongue till we get to the end, but <laughs> go ahead. Um, yeah, number number five is, is, is take time to study and pray with scriptures and the relevant teachings of the church. Um, and I would caution people, Okay. I, it's not that I don't like theologians and, uh, and apologists. I do. I think they're essential and they're important. But I would say don't go there first. Go to, um, because even very intelligent and well-intentioned theologians and apologists, I have found often misrepresent church teaching uh, inadvertently. So go to the sources, especially the catechism, and listen to what the church herself has to say. And read and study and pray um, with a spirit of openness and receptivity, a willingness to maybe be wrong and to try and see things from the church's point of view. Um, I think that spirit of docility is important. Uh, six is try and find people who you can be vulnerable with and share your doubts and struggles uh, and conflict with. People who won't shame you or treat you in a condescending way or judge you for questioning church teaching or church ruling. Um, but also people who won't stoke your anger or instigate more bitterness and resentment in you. Mm -hmm. And then seven is share your concerns with those in authority. Talk to your bishop, write to the Pope, talk to your pastor. Um, like canon law, as baptized people, we have the right to, to go to our pastors and tell them our opinion on things that we think are important. But the church also does warn us not to turn to mass media. What we don't want to do is stoke unnecessary and harmful division in the church. So be careful about how we're going about addressing that. Number eight, then trust your conscience. Trust what the Lord is saying to you. Number nine is follow your conscience. And then number 10 is continue this process and just keep doing this um, for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. um, because being an adult, Christian is really messy and you have a lot of freedom and a lot of responsibility, but a lot of difficult things to navigate. But the Lord wants us to be, wants to be with us and is with us in those messy and difficult circumstances and will give us a path forward if we follow his voice. Yeah. I think that, um, that's sort of what I love about this list is two things. I'm hope I can remember them. Um, one is the breaking down of an, 
and a very ancient sense of that is the church out there, and here's me, and I follow that. That's not how the church articulates herself. Um, the same dynamic that is present, well, within what we think of as the, the church, is also present in, in every human individual as a, maybe a matter of degree or maybe just a matter of intentionality. The that same I'm, Holy Spirit that guides exactly the magisterium is the Holy Spirit speaking to me. There's right. the presence of God. God says, um, you know, I will make my abode or I will abide in you and the Trinity will, will you know, bloom to life uh, inside you. And that is a reality for every, every human being, whether it's they're aware or not, it's, that is the, the, the deep, uh, deep reality for, for all of hum humanity. So that thinking of the church along those lines, why we see so much of the Holy Father just, just like shaking things up because it's been way too long and this is something that we preach with our lips, but it's not being actually lived out. But then there's the other thing, which is, uh, well, if, if we can have trust in that, then we can have trust in this dynamic that is also going to guide us as much as, you know, and if we trust in both together and not just blindly outsourcing, I think that's something that each one of us has to kind of wrestle with or maybe even sit with on our own. If we trust in both, if we trust in the Holy Spirit's voice and guidance in my conscience and the Holy Spirit's voice and guidance and protection of the church, then we believe the truth will ultimately prevail. Yeah. And this is the story of so many of the saints, um, or great theologians. I think of like Henri de Lubac, who before Second Vatican Council was censured by the church because of his teachings. And then during the council and after the council, he was rehabilitated and became one of the church's greatest theologians. Um, but he had to wait it out. He had to be in this place of tension and in obedience follow what you know the church asked him to do, even when it was unjust. Um, knowing and trusting that truth would eventually prevail and knowing what his role is. Now, some other saints, you know, they spoke up and they, you know, worked for reform and challenged the Pope even, but they did so with a docility and a humility um, that accompanied that as well. Right. Yeah. And then I think the second point that comes to me is the sense of giving yourself a huge um, how do you say, not a space for, for permission and peace, but um, like take yourself off the hook for a moment, because a lot of this discussion happens within a space of shame. There's almost, there's this just an incredible amount of anger and shame and, and bullying and uh, gaslighting and narcissism and so on. All of this stuff is sadly uh, basic human responses, you know, unintentional human responses to how we all try to stay safe with each other and so on. If we, again, thinking along the lines of being this mature Christian, a lot of what we're just trying to do with the, the years that we have, the space that we have, is uh, we're trying to metabolize our past, right? Because we inherit ghosts from our family, from our parents. We inherit voices and patterns and habits and most of us run around lives not you know run around our lives uh operating on default and assuming that because i heard it and i've always heard this it must be true and then always acting out of predispositions and habitual hormone cascades and you know so much of this stuff is not actually us you know and we can sometimes build very strong identities out of out of this stuff but 
looking at this list that's put together, looking at how the Beatitudes speak, there's almost always this sense of a return to self, a return to stillness, a return to the Holy Spirit, kind of like taking yourself out of a lineup of constant, you know, malpractice, bad habits, and fully entering into the present uh, so that we're not always living by default. When you do that, you literally start, the intent is to metabolize the past, to take it off, to let it go, to find out what is your actual response. What is your conscience actually calling in this moment? And, um, and not even just to, to let it go, but to just bring it to the Lord, just to come to the Lord in, uh, in, the, in this inner sanctuary, exactly as we are. Lord, I have all these fears. I have all this shame. I have all these doubts and I know what I want. Like I have my own agenda and I'm just going to just put it all on the table. And then you let the Lord speak to you in that place. And I think that the beautiful thing about that, about that space with him, that inner room, that relationship with him, is it is not a condemning relationship. Maybe you're... uh, There's no risk. (laughs) Well, yeah. You might be born a specific way. You might have just been raised with a whole bunch of compulsions and habits and so on. You're, You're not going to be held to an impossible standard you could never meet. It's always going to be this um, Christ, the kind, the loving, the good shepherd is always providing that guidance. Yeah. I, I want to end with this quote from Pope Francis. Can we do that? Let's do it. So, so this, is from, um, uh, this is from the joy of the gospel. He says this, well, we can wonder if God is demanding too much of us, asking for a decision which we are not yet prepared to make. This leads many people to stop taking pleasure in the encounter with God's word. But this would mean forgetting that no one is more patient than God our Father, that no one is more understanding and willing to wait. He always invites us to take a step forward, but does not demand a full response if we are not ready. He simply asks that we sincerely look at our life and present ourselves honestly before him, and that we be willing to continue to grow, asking from him, what we ourselves cannot as yet achieve. So we just spent we just spent almost an hour talking about it, and I could have just read that quote. <laughs> well, where's the fun in that? Part of this is just delaying the ending. So anyhow, thanks, uh, dear listener, dear watcher, for, for joining us in this conversation. If you enjoyed it, please do hit that like button, subscribe, share this maybe with the one friend that that you think, or maybe you'd know, would like to hear this. And if you've got a question that you'd like us to respond to in the next episode, or if you've got some feedback for us, Paul, where can folk go? Yeah, if you can go to, to popefrancisgeneration.com, uh, that's my website, that's my project. Um, you can become a free subscriber, but you can also become uh, supporting a paid subscriber. Uh, and that helps me do projects like this. Um, this is one of uh, my sources of, of income being a father and a student and all of that kind of stuff. So all of your support is very helpful and allows me to keep doing stuff like this. So that's PopeFrancisGeneration.com. Fantastic. And uh, we also have a little group for this project, for for Paul's work in our free community, SmartCatholics.com, where uh, we are faithful to the Holy Father, Pope Francis, free of trolls and toxicity, and we're building a culture of kindness and learning. So if that sounds like you, check out PopeFrancisGeneration.com. Come on over, have a look at smartcatholics.com, and until next time, say a short prayer for yourself and, and for us.
Um, remember, don't be afraid to ask questions. Doubts can be a sign that we want to know God better and more deeply.